0: Thank you. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Father Nature. Today we're going to be talking about bees and pollinators. But first, as always, we better recap what we've been up to for the last couple of weeks, gents, and we'll start with a very warm congratulations to your sister, Rob.
1: Yep. My sister uh, gave birth a couple of weeks ago, so now um, uncle of two to little Oliver, Yee. which has been lovely. So no, Hannah and Mikey, like I said, they had a question a couple of weeks ago around the uh, frogs in the pond, and so they've been expecting obviously some time now, and yeah, finally um, Oliver's with us as of the 3rd of August, so no, it's been an awesome couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, brilliant stuff, and we have spent the day today actually with your future in-laws or more specifically father nature himself on one of his walks how did it go john
2: it went really well actually it was a lovely lovely little dip into lots of different aspects actually we did some general sort of nature observing uh looking at what was about and we did some foraging work looking at sort of various edibles and medicinal things and various things that were actually going to be available in the next few weeks as opposed to now uh and then we ended up with a bit of fun doing some bushcraft some sort of fire lighting activities uh roasting some trout over open flames and of course finishing off with some s'mores which uh always spoil us and uh and then we just to as we had had trout i felt that we ought to learn what goes into supplying such things so we did some fly cast practicing just up in the field which was really good actually it was slightly breezy up there but they all really got the hang of you know throwing that fly line out there and you know who knows one day they might go in quest of a trout itself.
1: And the fact that you've got to live to eat a trout is worthy of a, a shout out itself yeah. and a medal. There seem mm. to be
2: no complaints about them. I mean, they were just just done over fire, slightly charred the outside and um, just served literally like that. And uh, it's it's just an exquisite fish to eat, especially from a beautiful chalk stream where the flesh is sort of so, so fresh. Um, sometimes if you get trout from a bit of a muddy old lake because they don't really favour such things but you just do get a slight taste of lake water yeah. with them um, but these guys uh, came from a chalk stream and they're absolutely clean as a whistle beautiful and that
1: was a trout that father nature caught himself
2: it was yes yes Well, my own surrendered fair surrendered himself to you it, it did it was yeah, <laughs> fooled by my skilful casting of an imitation fly
0: mm. now it's interesting having your future mother-in-law here oh yeah because she made a very good point well she sort of she called you out a little bit actually she asked or she questioned whether you should be on a nature connection podcast if you have
1: artificial turf as a lawn i wasn't here when she said that <laughs> no
0: you she were tell me out all
1: right <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. I mean, um, it definitely does uh, reduce my credibility, and I'm sad that now our listeners know that I've got artificial.
2: <laughs> yeah, so you inherited so that, it, Rob. In fairness, yeah, it's, it's something you inherited true. It's exactly. That, so it's it's just a good mulch at the moment, and as you get more ideas, you can gradually sort of get rid of that and replace it with something more life-enhancing.
1: Yeah. Mm. But no, thanks for sharing that with everyone. No, that's fine. Well, now everyone knows I'm a fraud.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about bread and beer then. You're not a fraud about bread or beer, are you?
1: No, I'm No, You are not. an
0: expert in both categories, and you've had uh, you've had a busy
1: few weeks of bread and beer. I have. So obviously, yeah, one of the ways we said um, that we could celebrate Lamas was, well, either to go and buy an interesting loaf that you've not had or looks unusual or if you're feeling adventurous to try and bake a loaf. And so I did exactly that. Mm. I went to um, just to the supermarket, bought some flour, bought some yeast and thought... I'd- and a loaf <laughs> of bread. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, just gave it a go. Just like a standard, um, like white sandwich loaf, really. And it was a resounding success. It was. It was honestly, so I've, I've only tried baking bread a couple of times and it's not been great um so no tried it yeah like i say a couple of weeks ago um i mean it's given me a newfound respect for bakers because Mm. it takes quite a long time Mm. like there's a lot of waiting around so it was proving so i made the dough and in total it was like proving for about three hours and then it Cooks in about half hour, so it or bakes in about half hour. So It was big though, wasn't it? It was quite big, but it didn't last long. No. <laughs> I basically ate exclusively bread until it, <laughs> until it was done. Um so no, that was good. Like definitely um obviously I've got a big bag of flour and loads of yeast now, so definitely gonna be trying mm. that again and try and mix it up, maybe try and get some flavours in there or mm. What did it go best with? well the best bit we had was the day it was baked and it was still warm and just yeah some nice butter on it and it was you know just as it comes and that was really nice so um, but no lovely and we'll definitely try and do that again that was the bread and then the beer. the beer so yeah I think it's worth a shout out because it seemed appropriate so and it's not the first time I've had it but there's a brewery local to me called Crumbs Brewing mm. and they're partnered with a local bakery and basically any leftover bread from this bakery is then passed to the brewery and they brew beer out of it oh wow um, and I've had it before um, and yeah in the last couple of days I've had a pint of their um, it's called sourdough lager and it's so nice like really? yeah it's dark it's like malty it's sweet and yeah just tastes really nice and um obviously felt appropriate with lammas um because again another reason we said or another way to celebrate lammas was to have a pint of beer so Mm -hmm.
0: well what about your homework rob as well in the last couple of weeks just remind us what you had to do
1: yeah so the homework was to to go to our favorite spot and look at some of the flowers or plants and just observe which insects or pollinators come to visit um so I did exactly that, um, went down to the log in the last few days, went on a warm day because I know you'd said that that'd probably be a, um, you know, a good idea. So I went down on a warm day and yeah, right next to the log is this huge um, bed of creeping thistle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just stood and watched that for a few minutes and th- it was such like a hive of activity. Yeah. There was so many insects coming and going and not even just coming and flying and, you know. Um, and flying around but also if I was just looking at some of the plants as well there's so much just crawling over it and so no I've managed to identify a few of the insects using the little book that you kind of gave me so no I saw you know there's everything from butterflies to sort of bumblebees I think honeybees which I've just um you know identified and then yeah the more interesting one was the soldier beetle which looked quite similar to the cardinal beetle that you'd identified in one of the first episodes so yeah bright orange little thing um on the plant, so yeah, no, I mean, it's amazing, like I say, like how much was going on in and around it, and um yeah, very interesting all sorts of all sorts of insects, yeah any questions from the last
0: couple of weeks or observations
1: or- i've got yeah, I don't really have any questions this this week, but I do have just some funny little observations mm. so Last Sunday, uh, Liv and I were settling down after dinner, and we're thinking, "Oh, let's just stick a film on, end the week." uh, You know, where's this going, mate? <laughs> and um, we stuck on, as any other normal twenty-eight-year-old would do, a bug's life. And, Great film, yeah, cracking film. Great I hadn't film. seen it in years, but again, it felt like quite relevant to some of the conversations we've been having. Because I mean, in the opening scene, like they're literally, obviously, it's the point where the ants are literally harvesting the grain for the grasshoppers. Mm. Again, made me think of Lamas but um something that made me laugh is that the queen ant has a little pet aphid <laughs> which, right. yeah and called aphi and uh, obviously that would have just gone straight over my head had you not uh you know learned that you eat aphids so um no also
2: that's really interesting because i didn't i i don't know if i've seen bugs life but um ants do have um a, a bit of a sort of symbiotic relationship with aphids Ooh. because ants will actually um, p- pretty much kind of farm aphids f- for their... Uh, the, what, what we call honeydew. It's basically aphids drink sap and what they secrete out of their ear ends is honeydew, uh, for want of a better name, perhaps. Um, but it's still full of sugary nutrition and so ants will actually... Protect the aphids from predators in order to safeguard their supply of honeydew. Mm. So, presumably, whoever wrote Bugs Life knew a little bit about that. Yeah.
1: So, ants eat aphid
2: poo? Uh, Yes. I guess it's a bit more like we, in a funny (laughs) sort of (laughs) way.
0: Much better. We should do maybe a Bugs Life um, watch along and point out. Exactly what it's actually... Father nature. Mm. Where the inspiration came from. Yeah. Mm. Very good. Yeah. Well, it's a great film. It's a cracking way to spend your Sunday night. Um,
2: Anything else? No, I think they're the main bits.
1: Mm.
0: Just a bug's life. Okay. Uh, John, what about you? You had a question from someone.
2: Yes, I did. Um, Well, a a couple of people have observed that the um, bird song that we were we're speaking about um, so avidly when we first started our podcast has become much quieter and noticeably so um, in the mornings and uh, doesn't seem to pick up at all and is actually fairly quiet through the day and uh, we did a camp a couple of weeks ago whereby um, we were actually underneath a whole load of rooks and jackdaws and it was noticed as they were flying over that they looked really quite scruffy. Um, looked from underneath and you saw the silhouette and you saw feathers missing all over the place. So uh, basically quiet, ragged birds. So what is that all about? Well, it's it's actually all about the molt. So at this time of year, um, birds need to molt their feathers, literally every one. And obviously if they did that all at once, they would become... Quite flightless and very vulnerable to temperature changes. So they do it quite gradually. Um, if you look at places where um, birds roost uh, regularly um, and in a sort of colony, so to speak, in, in quite big numbers, such as wildfowl, sort of pigeons do, feral pigeons will if you're in town you'll see proportionately more feathers at the moment just scattered around. And that's because as quickly as they can grow more feathers, they are losing the old ones. So they'll lose one and the other one will start emerging as a quill and then it will sort of just gradually unravel into a proper um, feather. So they never become sort of completely uh, sort of useless as far as flight goes. Wildfowl tend to... Uh, actually they, they don't become completely flightless but they do become much more vulnerable
0: what's wildfowl uh,
2: so wildfowl is uh, basically ducks and geese ah. and uh, I did uh, have a walk up on the Thames towards Walton the other day and uh, there was a huge huge number of feathers all along the, the banks there where the ducks and geese are spending literally all day grooming themselves well, preening I should say And uh, they're sort of like just getting rid of these old feathers and growing back brand new beauties. So by the time we come to um, winter or autumn, they will have a brand new set of uh, wonderful, waterproof, strong feathers in order to either see them through the winter. For some birds, it might be to see them uh, able to uh, migrate again because some of our birds are obviously going to be uh, migrating sort of abroad to spend their summers elsewhere. And, uh, and the other thing is, that, of course, it slightly changes some of their plumages. So at the moment, some of the uh, ducks that you see, especially the sort of usually highly coloured male ducks, they look just like the rather more drab female ducks. And that's because they're in this state, which they call eclipse. And uh, until they've regrown their next set of feathers, they won't look their male colours anymore. They just look all drab. So that's what's happening with them. Um, Growing feathers takes a huge amount of energy. So they don't put their energy into things like... uh, defending their territory so much anymore and that involves singing for so many of our birds and also of course for most birds the young have hatched, they're fledglings now and some of them are even sort of not dependent anymore even though a lot of them still are they're still being fed by parent birds so they put their energy basically into uh, looking after them, growing new feathers and just building themselves up for autumn time the the only other thing I was going to say about that the really interesting thing about the malt which I find interesting anyway is that and I, I don't know how this was found out in order to hear things uh, us humans have uh, very fine hairs uh, in our inner ears I think they're called mm. cilia
0: oh, I shave those no or right right in, right in oh, our okay. ears don't right in, and, yeah
2: don't shave don't try and shave these ones mm. so anyway. We have the ones that we're born with are the ones we have for the rest of our lives. So, as they progress progressively, either get damaged or get old or just wear out, we lose our hearing and become a little bit deaf. Now, with birds, when they molt their feathers, they also molt the hairs in their ears, which I find fascinating because it ba- basically means that they're probably. Also, at this time of year, a little bit deaf, mm. and maybe that's why also they don't sing so much. But it also means that when they come out of this time, their hearing is presumably grows in acuteness, and often you do get an upsurge of bird song towards the autumn. Um, some people call it a sub-song, but uh, it's it's evidently, and a lot of people have sort of conjectured that well these are the fledglings, they're just getting their voice, and they're li- they're literally practicing. It's certainly not territorial, uh, but that's my sort of fascinating fact for the day, if you like. Yeah. I just think that's that's pretty amazing, and how they found that out, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's quite no astonishing. Way. I don't know how you'd even. Or who would even have the idea to try and find that out? No. But I'm glad they did. Yeah. Because it's provided yeah. five minutes of good podcasting. <laughs> um, cool. Anything else you wanted to say? I think you had some bird-related points, didn't you? As well yeah.
2: As uh, I, I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Fred. Fred. Who contacted us uh, because he said that he hadn 't seen any jays in his garden for quite some time, and then suddenly they had appeared and uh, actually uh, we had similar we had a a, a jay with a couple of um, fledglings appear on our bird table a couple of weeks ago as well, coincidentally, so jays are probably the shyest of our of the crow family um certainly the most colorful they're stunning looking birds and uh they're they're very much a woodland based bird they they like mature woods they're very omnivorous they got a very wide uh range of things that they eat uh and they've been spending you know the last couple of months sort of uh obviously nesting bringing their eggs on, incubating and then uh, feeding nestlings and now they're looking after the fledglings. Now the demand for feeding them will, I think, spread them further afield. So they'll start to come out of the woods and back into the gardens a bit more if you have the relevant foods available. And uh, of course we're coming into a time of abundance for things like jays and they will start to practice uh, the gathering foods and then burying them at various places as things like the acorns become ripe they will literally pluck them off and start to bury them in lawns and things so you might find them on the lawn and they're not actually feeding they're actually burying a stash for, ready for um for winter time so that's why i think fred that they've suddenly uh reappeared in the garden and uh that's that one and the other uh we one we had was um lovely jackie from just down the road who uh said that it was um quite amazing she was listening to our podcast the bit about when the blue tits were sort of soliciting for food from Change their pronunciation there John. thank you mate you get called uh, out professional <laughs> as he ever did it very well, <laughs> unlike you. and uh and yes, no sooner had she seen that, and she looked out her window, and there was a young blackbird doing exactly the same to It's the the parent birds. So you know, we, go. we love hearing that. Sort of some of the things that we're saying are being seen by people. So you know, well done for looking out, and thanks for getting back to us.
0: If you'd like to be part of the Father Nature tribe, follow us on our social media accounts. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Father Nature HQ. You can also email us directly. Our address is fathernaturehq at gmail.com Right then. This episode's topic bees. Bees seem very important. We see a lot of of, about bees, don't we? We Rob, we popped into town today and and bees were everywhere. Everywhere we looked
1: it was bees. And you know, we went to a, a bookstore and Just every every uh, every book in the window was bee related. Mm. Mm. It was strange. And then we went to a a DIY store, and they've got a uh, you know they they have a sort of adopt a bee scheme based on how much paint you buy. And yeah, it just seemed to be (laughs) everywhere. I don't know if it's because it was been on our mind or or otherwise. But um, they seem to be the animal of the millennial,
0: don't they? They are like they do. They are the avocado of. of they're the animal world aren't they? yeah but i think i think we'll learn for very good reason as well throughout this podcast um because we're going to move on to why they're so important very shortly but first john you left us on a huge teaser in the last episode showing us a plant which had been uh, had perfect little circles cut out of it you need to explain well, exactly right. why
2: okay so yes and hopefully if anyone's uh signed up to our instagram account they will have also seen some evidence of this uh we made a bee hotel and i'm so glad we did because it's nice to know that some things aren't sort of gimmicks these things really work uh and we would literally only just made it when we started noticing bees sort of like checking it out and these weren't honey bees, but we'll talk about different types of bees a bit later. Um, then and so some of the bees were going in and out, and then some started blocking the, uh, the canes up with what looked like a mixture of mud, it's sort of a bit like plastering it shut, and then others were stuffing it sort of apparently full of like green material.
0: Yeah, and just to explain, the bee hotels, which we'll talk about later as well, are essentially. A lot, you know, strips of bamboo cut short with a perfect circle at the end mm. for this purpose. So that's where they were putting them.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we'll, well, if yeah, do sign up to the Instagram if people want to see what they actually look like. Yeah, um, because there, there's there's a picture on it, or well, there's a there's a video on on it in use. Uh, but so right adjacent to um, where where the actual bee hotel is, uh, we just found that the bush had these perfectly circular like polka dots cut out of them and that's because the bee basically will render itself in a a nice sort of like stable position and it will literally clip away in the circle that the aperture of his head will allow it to do and that clips out perfect um, little circle of leaf material which it takes back in order to bung up the end of the uh, bamboo so what's in the bamboo then what so are they in the up? bamboo that uh, bee would have made dozens and dozens of visits to deposit pollen so once he's got a big stash of pollen it will lay either its egg or eggs on that pollen and it will then seal that in so the egg will then hatch and uh, the uh, the grub will then feed on the pollen, and then it will uh, turn into a chrysalis, and then it will emerge. Sometimes they overwinter as a grub, uh, but when they, they they basically will eat their way out of the cane when they're when they're good and ready. Mm. And so, just the one cycle- bee then? Not always. No. So what we should say is there's 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 around about. Two hundred and fifty types of bee.
0: Oh yeah, what I meant was just one bee will emerge from each.
2: Not always. Oh, no, okay. no. There's some types because some of these bees are, are, are quite small. Um, they're, they're called. Uh, there's mason bees. There's leaf cutter bees, and there's various other types. And we also, just to complicate issues, have various parasitic wasps, which can tend yeah. to, which can use similar systems.
0: Yeah, go on. Tell us about that quickly. This is <coughs> a horrible yeah, story. Yeah, go on.
2: Well because yes, they don 't use pollen they don 't use pollen, so the, so quite a few of the parasitic wasps and and uh, it seems macaw, but they will actually catch a grub of another type of insect and they will sting it in order to paralyze it but not actually kill it now they don 't want to kill it because obviously that will then that grub will become like meat and will putrefy and go off. They need it to stay alive, so they just paralyse it and they lay a little egg on it. And then, again, they will seal the little egg in with living caterpillar and the uh, resulting sort of maggot, the wasp maggot, will hatch and then will start to eat the grub and it will essentially eat everything other than the vital organs and, uh, and it will grow as it does so and then it will finally when there's basically just a, the bare essence of a living piece of flesh left will finish that off and that's enough nutrition for it to then pupate itself and then hatch into a, an adult uh, parasitic wasp. The ichneumon wasps, some of them. So they're. We hope you enjoyed makes, this thing yes, too. It's, <laughs> it's slightly <laughs> so horrific. I I tend to think to myself, well, at uh, uh, this level of, sort of, um, I, I like to think that that grub isn't as conscious of what's going on. <laughs> I I think sort of a it's paralysed, so hopefully it's got no nerve sensation, and uh, and I I don't think the brain function at this level is probably enough for it to particularly agonise. Uh, so, mm. that's how Savage, I cope though. with it. But it does seem macabre. Did so, you say it was a wasp that does that? A parasitic it's wasp, the type yeah, Again, yeah. There, there are dozens and dozens of types of wasps. That's famous. like typical wasp behaviour, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I feel like yeah, bees, well, everyone
1: likes a bee. It's quite yeah. friendly and you're not too scared of it. Whereas a wasp... That's, yeah, not mm. so friendly. Well, I
2: think we'll have to do Wops, wasps on another podcast because, of course... Do they get unfair treatment? Wasps? I think they, are, they, they do get unfair. They're profiled. misunderstood. And not only that, they're fantastic pollinators, mm-hmm. as we're on the subject. And also, they're very good. They help gardeners with a lot of their pest control. Uh, they, they do, when wasps are rearing young... In, the, in their nests they need a very high protein diet so they're constantly collecting grubs and aphids and things to take back to the nest to feed the um uh to, to feed this high protein diet and then towards the when, when they've stopped reproducing numbers particularly but they're keeping a colony going uh they will turn to a much more sugary diet which when that's when they can be a pain when you're Either trying to enjoy your pint at the pub or you're sort of outside in the having a picnic and you've got fruit around you and things like that. Yes, they can be a bit of a nuisance, but I think. Uh, okay, I think we'll, we'll probably, try and yeah. set the
0: record straight with wasps in another episode. Yes. Um, but so I just want to ask so do all bees start life as a maggot? Yes. Oh, I didn't well, know that. did. Well, they start life you? as, as
2: an didn't. egg. So let's look at, let's say, honeybees. And a lot of bees have got a a bit of a symmetry here, but a honeybee is a a colonial thing. So every honeybee that you will see is a sterile female with no capability for breeding. And it can have various jobs in the hive or just one or two jobs. It's a very, very complex social structure some of the um the majority of the bees will be out to collect pollen and nectar and that's why they're so beneficial for us as pollinators but some literally are like on sentry duty and they they will be at the sort of front of the hive to keep away predators things like hornets and such like and uh hornets are a whole new ball game aren't they i actually don't know if i've
1: yeah. ever seen one Oh, my brother got stung by a hornet. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you sh- know when you see one, right? Like, oh, it's, there's man. so much. you hear it before you yeah, see. Yeah, oh, I'm not sure I've ever seen yeah. it. Yeah. It's like a Chinook mm. <laughs> a And you Chinook. hear those horrible stories of when you see someone that's been stung by a
2: hornet. it Looks like they've been shot, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like horrible. Well, it might feel like they've been shot. Yeah. It don't, I don't. I think, and they, they they can swell up. But again, hornets they're pretty misunderstood. They they're fairly docile. But if you do get stung, it's just more, there's more consequence because they're like four times the size of a wasp and probably got four times the sting. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I've never been stung by one and yet I've taken some great pictures of them. We get them in a house every year. Um, They do weird me out a little bit because they tend to fly at dusk a lot and they, like you say, Ned, they're pretty noisy and um, so you tend to think, well, oh, my God, what is that? And you kind of think, yeah, I'm going to usher that out. I'm going to usher it out. And if, I, if that doesn't go soon, it's going to be, you know... Uh, yeah, make you pay rent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So going back to... So uh, all of those um, female honeybees yeah. are just workers. And uh, the only fertile one is the queen. And when she's been mated, she's mated the once, and she will lay. For, uh, she will lay eggs thereafter. She only needs that one mating. Now, when the hive deems it the right time, some of the eggs that she has laid, the uh, worker bees will feed it a substance called royal jelly and that will cause that particular bug not to grow into a sterile female but to grow into a virgin queen just with one of them or uh, it, no it can be several okay. and they the the cell becomes much bigger and they they know that you know it's an intentional thing it's fed this this uh royal jelly and uh looked after very well and when that uh when that queen so that queen will be a queen, let's say a queen maggot, and then it will pupate, and when that hatches out, it communicates itself through the um hive because any hive will only ever have one queen, and she will then swarm, and so she will fly away and take a few thousand bees with her, sometimes half the colony, sometimes less, sometimes much more, and when she flies. She will be pursued by the only male bees which are called drones and there's only a few dozen of them that are hatched at the same time and one of them will manage to mate on the wing with her literally on that maiden flight and she will then scout round for somebody somewhere suitable to set up her own colony.
0: Do they compete to mate with her?
2: Yes, the drones do. Yeah, they they try and get there first. So, so it's a it's the strongest, fastest fly uh flying one that will get there and hopefully keep the, the the gene pool rich. Uh and so beekeepers when they've when they've managed to if they get phoned up and they find a swarm that's in a, a bough of a tree or something like that, they know it's gonna move on because that's not a suitable place to set up. So they have to get up there pretty quick. And if they can shake that into what we call a nucleus box, uh, but it could literally, you know, be a cardboard box temporarily. You shake the whole lot in there and it will fall in and you turn it upside down. Now, providing the queen is in that box by nightfall, every one of the bees that's flown with her will be in that box with her and they will be starting to lay down wax foundation. That's how quick it happens. But that gives you enough time to phone up your local beekeeper and say, dude, I've caught myself a swarm. I've mm. never said that <laughs> and, before. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I've, I've caught a few swarms in the time. It's Classic. It's, it's so, it's so <laughs> cool, lovely chef. to watch. Mm. If you, if you manage to shake, you know, how do you shake a hive? Like, well, like you shake a swarm, the colony. It would, it's, it's about the size of a football rugby ball. And usually, and, if it's on the end of a branch, what you would do is literally clip the branch. So you're holding to the branch with I'm this I'm loving whole the image thing. of you doing this in my yeah. head right now. <laughs> and then you literally can sort of like shake it into a box or even just put the whole branch in and put the box upside down on it. Right. And they will naturally sort of migrate upwards to a ceiling level. And that ceiling seems to give them the satisfaction of, hey, this is going to be dry and protected. Let's make our colony here. And they will start to make wax, and the wax will be built out like comb. But obviously, honeybees, uh, sorry, beekeepers like to have it in sort of frames because it's easier to handle. So, but if you just had it naturally, like in a skep, which is an old fashioned hive, they just drop down into semicircular. Um, uh, combs of honey and they will then the we're back to uh our sort of like status quo of having one queen laying thousands of eggs which will turn into sterile females and they will all keep collecting they will keep working on the wax structures they're collecting um honey and pollen uh, sorry pollen and uh, nectar and uh then they will start laying eggs in all of those cells, and uh, right, so where do the uh, so male
0: where do the drones come from from then like how but well, the
2: drones d- drones are are the eggs that are laid that are genetically different so they are male eggs so they
0: recognise that and they wouldn't feed royal jelly to them
2: no that's mm. right no they literally will will pick three or four eggs usually and uh it's it's to a lot of people would say equates very much to weather and probably is but also to uh the density of um bees within a hive if a hive becomes crowded if you don't put you know an extra super or two the layers on top and if they start to get crowded they just think right you know this is a good opportunity for us to um you know reproduce so but the old queen we usually stay where she is and uh if you get two queens in a hive they will battle it out so th- Blood you know, they you they don't they don't exist well and if you get a really aggressive queen uh, what it's possible to do is to introduce a new queen providing you take the old queen out but you have to i've never done it but uh you have to put the new queen in sort of in like uh, a little sort of capsule covered in tissue paper and such like so by the time the uh, workers have got to investigate who this new person is they've got used to the smell of the new queen and they won't attack her and okay. they they will take it on so you, so you could can you idea
0: if you looked at a hive would you be able to id the queen
2: you can yes they're, they're slightly bigger and longer but to make it easier, most beekeepers put a dot of paint, special paint, on the back of the queen, on, on her back. So you look out for a little dot, and that will be, uh, that's dictated by what year the queen was born. So, how yeah. how long can a queen be there? I think most, I think a lot of beekeepers will use the same queen for three or four years if if it's all working well. Because what, what you can manage your hive by knocking out the queen cells. But you have to be aware that if they're starting to build a lot of queen cells, it's a natural thing to do for reproduction anyway. But uh, it could be also a sign that, well, you know, this, this, you've got, you know, 70, 80,000 bees here. So you need to have a bigger hive, literally, because obviously the whole system needs supporting. And this is why they, they use their nectar to make honey. And that honey needs to be fed to the growing grubs. But also, all of the individuals, they need to maintain their own energy as well because it's a like a super-energised life. So,
0: busy as a bee.
2: Busy as a bee, yeah, and work from dawn till dusk.
0: Our podcast is the perfect start as you seek a deeper connection with the natural world. But why not take it one step further? If you're liking what you're hearing from Father Nature, why not book a day with our resident nature expert, Johnny Taylor? whether it's one-to-one group sessions or a corporate day to enhance your staff's well-being we have all elements of nature connection covered guided walks firelighting, foraging bushcraft are just some examples of what we offer we will tailor the day to suit your needs just email us at fathernaturehq at gmail.com or send us a message on our social media accounts at fathernaturehq to let us know you're interested and we'll get straight back in touch So why are they so important then? Because we hear a lot about the fact that we have to save the bees, obviously, which we're all supportive of. Um, but why exactly is that?
2: Well, essentially, every plant that we have relies on pollination. So in order to breed, there's a, a lot will can reproduce by layering and, and such like, but anything that produces seeds needs to be pollinated some things are pollinated by wind Um, a lot of our trees are are pollinated by wind and grasses tend to be pollinated by wind so the pollen is just blown around but with uh, most of our flowers and such like uh, and the reason it's so important for us nearly all of our food crops things like beans and peas and things like that they need pollinating uh, by insects and so essentially if you haven't got let's say if you had um vast orchards of fruit trees and you had no bees to pollinate them you literally wouldn't get any fruit so it's, it's as simple as that they we depend on them massively for our food supply uh you know what i think you know if you didn't know anything about it you think well the only thing bees produce is honey but actually the honey business is probably worth less than the pollination business an awful lot of places that rely on uh pollination things like the the, the super huge orchards and such like they will have hives on their ground purely to for the pollination nothing to do with the the honey although you know you're You're a fool not to manage it and take the honey off if you've got the the wherewithal to do it so um so yeah, and it's not only uh honeybees that do it an awful lot of insects do pollinate um our various sort of wildflowers. uh but again they they're dependent on it, so you know no no pollinators, no seeds
0: mm. actually that leads me on to a question from Ollie. Who, after the Grow Your Own episode, asked about um, different house plants or growing veg inside, basically. Mm. And he said that, or he was asking, I think it was a tomato plant, perhaps. And he yeah. was saying that tomatoes will not grow on it unless it's pollinated. Mm. So he was going round... Pollinating it himself, essentially.
2: Uh, I mean, it's yeah. I th- I think dirty git. How did you that? Know, <laughs> yeah. I, <was> <laughs> I didn't well, ask. Traditionally, the Draw Victorians. The <laughs> yeah. So greenhouse crops uh, were like massively important, especially in Victorian times, because they were quite quite novel, and they used to grow a lot of things like sort of apricots and things like that as well. And they, along with sort of. T- Uh, tomatoes and ova and various citrus fruits and stuff like that they would uh, sort of pollinate to ensure that they get a good crop then the 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 tool of choice used to be a rabbit's tail or a scut as it's called (laughs) tied onto a cane horrible word (laughs) yeah but they're very fluffy as you know (laughs) yes it's it's quite a word isn't it and uh and basically you would go along dabbing the flower parts, the anthers and the stamens, with these scuts. Right, and so how would...
0: how can you do it in the modern day then, without a rabbit's tail? Without a scut.
2: Mm. I guess you would use probably something like a paintbrush. Uh, okay, <laughs> and, uh, I've and never what, just, had to just, do it. Just... Yeah. Um, because I think tomatoes aren't entirely... Uh, insect pollinated but i 'm not a hundred percent sure on that um, so, so
0: why won't a fruit grow without it being pollinated
2: so a lot of um a lot of plants in order well a lot of plants can pollinate themselves i.e the pollen and the uh, anthers are all produced at the same time and a lot need other plants adjacent plants in order to transfer pollen across which I guess avoids too much what you might call inbreeding Uh, so things like you you get some let's say apples I say just because we're looking down at the apple trees in the in the garden some of them require a pollinator plant to be a pollinator tree with them as well because they they're not good at pollinating or such like uh, and i guess this means that you get um a, a a a wider gene sort of uh sort of resistance or less vulnerability uh and um i i guess that makes sort of like you know evolutionary sense in in some respects because if if you entirely uh, uh, dependent on your own type then you're going to limit your gene bag massively and uh, you would only need to have sort of like, I suppose, a small disease or something like that go through the crop and uh, it would have no resistance. I'm not sure, um, but uh, basically plant to plant rather than just a plant on its own seems to be nature's bag for successful pollination
0: what about the bee pollinating so, pollinating or the insect pollination i should say
2: yeah well they they literally will go from flower to flower to flower and uh and obviously not the same only the same species of um flower will pollinate that species of anther sort of thing it's not like there's a broadcast pollen for all different species
0: yeah but what what actually happens so a bee will go into let's say the apple tree then yeah so just talk us through what actually okay. what a bee is actually doing and how that results in fruit
2: so what the bees will do is two things they can go into any nectar bearing flower and they can drink the nectar they are attracted to it for the nectar And they can collect pollen, which they will do on pollen sacks on their legs. And that's what they'll take back to the hive. But in the process of doing so, they will often get pollen over their sort of hairy abdomens and such like. And this is the pollen that as they're going in to collect nectar from the next plant, some of that pollen will rub off. And then that's like the sperm going to the egg, if you like. And then reproduction can take place—the formation of a seed.
0: Right. So you need three things, really. You need two types of plant and the insect,
2: uh, or, or not two types, types of plant, but, two you, but you need. Yeah, dude. Um, I see. Yeah, and so you, so you get. Let's say the pollen from the plant on the right hand side gets onto the anther of the plant on the left hand side, and vice versa. Then both those plants will produce seeds. So it's unintentional from a bee's perspective? Uh, it's, if- yes, it's, it's a symbiotic thing, really. Yeah. The bee gets to... The, the plant needs to attract a pollinator. So some plants will produce wonderful nectar and they will guide bees in with these beautiful um, coloured petals, which obviously the bees see slightly different because I think they're ultraviolet. Um, but don't quote me on that, but they they get a we different will. pattern. <laughs> uh, but, of course, some plants smell dreadful and they, they smell like carrion. And so they will um, attract not bees, but different flies that come in thinking it's carrion. And they'll come in and check this out. I don't know what carrion is. Dead meat, oh, basically, God. rotting meat. <sighs> So I've never
0: smelled a flower no, like that. I don't no. think.
2: Well, they're they're mostly tropical, but yes, there's 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 a lot of um, and you can get house plants like it as well. I suppose you wouldn't necessarily want one, but uh, probably not. Yeah, they they smell of rotting meat. I um, Yeah, and uh, that's what will attract the flies. So yeah, we because we, we got to remember it's not just bees; it's various sorts of um, uh, wasps and yep. various sorts of beetles and various sorts of actual true flies butterflies or... uh butterflies and moths yeah they yeah. They, they visit and there they feed on they feed on nectar well that is fascinating i so, you
0: know, understand it now then mm. so they basically don't know how crucial they are they don't, to us <laughs> which is yeah which is why
2: they don't know yeah, yeah. that's right we we're, we're the ones we with them. the understanding yeah. and you know as soon as the plant has been pollinated it stops its nectar flow because that energy being put into nectar isn't needed anymore. Now it's got to put its energy into growing the seeds. So, you know, let's say we're talking runner beans here because it's a crop or French beans, whatever you like. As soon as they're pollinated, that flower literally drops off, leaving the fertilized sort of embryonic stage of a seed. And that will grow into your bean And within the bean, in this case, uh, are the actual seeds, which are sort of, you know, with French beans and runner beans, we eat the whole lot. But uh, with, let's say, things like broad beans, it's the seed inside that we actually will extract to eat. But of course, if you let that go full term and go to maturity that is the seed that will drop down to the soil and then grow for the next generation of broad beans it's like the seeds in your apple yes yeah exactly yeah so wow. and the seeds in your tomato and the seeds in sort of you know every other sort of fruit that you can think of and obviously vegetables a lot of vegetables are slightly different in that if you've got things like say the carrots and the parsnips and radishes and things like that you've got the vegetative body is what we eat, but they in turn, if you leave them, and this is, I think we we spoke about this when we spoke about houseplants on Father Nature, and we said, sometimes just grow a carrot and let (laughs) it grow full term so that you see what a carrot flower looks like. And then you'll see that carrot flower, and that could be pollinated by insects, And then that will go to seed. Hmm. And then from that seed, you can grow more carrots. But it's not, in that case, it's not the seed that you eat. It's the vegetative side of things. Screw it. Grow a bloody carrot. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we, well, I certainly mocked Ollie about his self-pollination question, but really he'll have the last laugh because he's got nicely pollinated tomatoes and we'll go hungry. Yes. (laughs) If you're enjoying the Father Nature podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you do three simple things for us. Leave us a nice review, recommend us to a friend, and hit the subscribe button. All three things really help us to reach more people. So that's review, recommend, subscribe. Thank you. Let's move on then to how we can help, because now we know how important they are, how we can actually help them out to do this crucial job what would, advice would you have? Well, actually, firstly, Rob, have you ever have you do you do anything at the moment to help bees or pollinators? Do you think
1: we have? pots in the garden which definitely attract bees we have lavender in a pot which elaine gave us kindly as a um, as a moving in gift and that's been the best one um yeah it's full of lavender and there's always butterflies and always bees around it um we get it elsewhere in the garden but certainly like they're attracted to that pot um but i don't have anything like a bee hotel or i've not consciously made anything or planted anything with that in mind but I'll definitely look to keep the lavender and try and keep that back because a it smells like amazing mm. and mm. it is nice to to see the bees and the butterflies. So um, yeah, I'll so lavender is good. Going. Then John, what else can be
2: planted?
0: Well,
2: well, I was going to say first of all, sort of like if if we're going to think what can we do for pollinators in general, which includes the bees, is th- there's there's three things that we need to try and provide. The first is nectar-rich plants for the adult version of those pollinators. Such as? So that could be, as Rob says, things like lavender. In fact, any of the herbs are brilliant because a lot of them are also perennial. Once they're in, they're in. So you've got things like lavender and rosemary, um, marjoram and uh, thyme. They're all fantastic f- uh, for plants i'm uh, um, sorry for nectar budlia. so budlia is a great bush to have it's all flowering at the moment and it is absolutely covered in butterflies and uh and flies and things like that also if we can grow things like honeysuckle which is uh releases its uh nectar in the evenings that's uh, very good for uh moths uh if you've got uh basically any of the really lovely smelly plants not roses but the nice smelly plants they will be attractive to um, bees and and pollinators because nectar is what they're after Uh, and of course seasonally very much more seasonally but if you've got some room for an apple tree or something like that that's good, if you've got room for some thorn trees, things like um, uh, uh, hawthorn they're very good. They'll get covered in uh, bees. If you've got room for a lime tree uh, that has its flowers very late in the season, they're, they're great for um, nectar as well. Okay. But essentially, if you Googled nectar-rich um, uh, plants, you will have a list as long as your arm to do it. So that's number one, nectar-rich plants for adults. Then we're talking food plants for their larvae because we want them to breed. Obviously, So this makes you think, well, what, what are you attracting? Um, d- things like a lot of the uh, traditional, what we might call weeds, are very good f- foods for the larval forms. Take stinging nettles, for example. A, th- a lot of our native butterflies will feed on stinging nettles. Uh, a lot of the uh, brassica family are also very good that's the cabbage family. Um so wool flowers or or literally cabbages, things like that. Very good food plants. Uh, again, i could put produce a list that's long and exhaustive, but just think in terms of food plants for um for the larvae. So so far we got um plants for adults, plants for larvae. And we also need to increase their breeding capability. So this is where we're starting to think, well, how do we provide the home? We've got the food, we've got the food for the young, we've got the food for the adults. How do we provide the home? So this is where we can have uh, bee hotels or bug hotels, which are different, I'll I'll cover both. We can have things like bumblebee boxes uh, and we can have things like, Um, a pond which are sort of very useful for an awful lot of plants which have water as uh, an awful lot of flies which have water as part of their life cycle at the nymph stage so but let's go let's do bee hotels to start with so we're talking now the bees that like to lay their eggs in tubes, essentially. If you either can glean some bamboo from an, an allotment somewhere or if you if you need to buy it, it's fine because, you know, a couple of 10-foot lengths, you're going to get an awful lot of tubes out. You have to be careful that because they have a node in them, which is solid. And you want to have four or five-inch depth of tube, really. And basically... We've got ours uh if you again go on the instagram uh video to to see it uh it's we just stuffed an old box full of them, so I don't know there must be must be over a hundred tubes there, and we just set it up with a bit of a cover over it so it doesn't get wet and it's just got a big old tile on top, and uh it's in relatively good sun because they they do like um sun and just set it up and just leave it it might not work for a while it might work very intermittently it might take a while because of course if you're starting off with a a blank canvas which you know your garden isn't a blank canvas rob but it's it's less well established with sort of nectar rich plants and such like so it might take a while for them to come in and find it but bees have got quite a big foraging range for their food so they will look discerningly for a good place to reproduce and you know so if the fact is you might be quarter of a mile away from a decent plant source that wouldn't necessarily stop them using your place uh, it's nicer if you can bring it home because then you can connect more with it yourself by sort of uh, experiencing it. But get one of them set up, have the nodes that blank off the uh, the um, bamboo at the back. So it's got an open front and just keep it slightly off the ground. Uh, you know, ours are, are just on a brick or something, I think. And so just so the, the box doesn't get waterlogged when it rains and uh, then just leave it to nature and see what happens and that will attract all the things that lay their eggs in tubes so and where
1: would, so if that didn't happen in a bee hotel where would hmm. that be taking place in the hive or
2: well yeah it'd be dead wood right. you know bricks and they use yeah so you get masonry bees that will literally uh, you know make holes in the mortar in between bricks which if it's soft enough, they just make holes and do exactly the same thing. Uh, And um, so, but yes, rotting wood is always a good one. It's amazing that
0: the grub knows what to do instinctively. Incredibly
2: instinctive, yeah. I mean, it basically, it is an egg. And when it becomes a grub, it's literally born on its pile of pollen. And, you know, it's pretty dull in some respects because it's probably just dark in that little room there. And it just munches away on the pollen mm. and just grows. And then, then the next thing knows to get is out. to pupate. So then it will pupate from a grub into the, um, the adult form. And then it knows to get out and then find a mate and breed. So the Repeat pollen is process.
1: used as food for the grub, or is it yes. It's not used in, any, in the fertilisation of bees at all? N-
2: not in fertilisation no. of the bees, no. That's a straightforward, like, mating. Run-of-the-mill mm-hmm. mating. Yeah, just run-of-the-mill mating. Wham, Leave your bam, pollen at you, the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that reminds me.
0: Bees do have incredibly... Actually, I'm not going to say it at that point. It doesn't matter. Go on. No. You've gone too far No, no I'm not. I was just going to say bees have incredibly long tongues, don't they?
2: Yes, they do. Because mm. they've got to reach nectar. That's right. What well, did you deep- think they had long <laughs> tongues? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. So let's gloss right over that. So what's, uh, th- let's talk bug hotels now as opposed to bee hotels. So a bug hotel can be something quite different this could be a similar box or hopefully even a bigger box but stuff it with all sorts of different things so we're recreating a bit more of a natural environment here in that you might have a load of wood shavings in one section you might have some slate and bits of brick in another you might have straw in another and some bamboo canes but with shelter from the rain and some people make these up sort of out of pallets and such like but You can do it sort of, you know, whichever way you like. And again, you know, I'm not sort of passing the buck on to someone else to explain it. But if you want to see it visually, just type in bug hotel and hit images because you will get hundreds of different ones. But they're really important because they cater for as well as some of the varieties of bees. A lot of the other pollinators, a lot of the things like um, lacewings will use them. and spiders and beetles and wood lice and and even if none of those are going to do much for your um for your pollination purposes, they will be providing a decent sort of uh foundation in your food web, which is your garden, and upon that is what your like sustained bird life will will uh rely on. And because, of course, you know, we'll talk much more about birds in other, uh, having birds in the garden in other podcasts. But um, as as well as bringing them into the bird table, you want to have stuff that they can sustain themselves with year round. And most breeding songbirds have an insectivorous diet when they're breeding. So even if they're seed feeders over the winter and such like, they love insects to feed and grubs to feed their young. So if you can provide that, hey, presto, you've got this sort of like little nature reserve in your garden. Free to watch.
0: Okay, then. So we arrive at the homework, which is going to be directly relevant to the bees of which we know now just how important they are. So what can we do, John?
2: Right. I would say if we've got a garden... There's a couple of things to do that will just please you anyway, whatever happens. Find your favourite herb. It doesn't matter whether it's a type of mint or uh, lavender or rosemary, marjoram, whatever you like. Treat yourself, plant it in a sunny position and look after it. Also, have a look at some of the wild uh, wild mixes. And see if you've got a little space where you can get some of the really good um, uh, wild uh, plants like knapweed, um trefoils, uh, even things like some of the big buttercups, stuff like that. They are a weed, uh, but they're good for insects. And so just literally, you know, buy the plant form as opposed to the seed. So you get a massive sort of like uh, step in the right direction and you've got it and it's immediate now have a go at a bee hotel and i say that because we've had so much satisfaction out of hours it's like having the same joy that you get from a bird table you can sit by your bee hotel and just watch things going in and out and it's a bit like watching a spider build a web i mean to bring in a supply of pollen Takes dozens and dozens of visits, and you watch the way these bees will come in, and they hover, and you think there's there's 60 or 70 tubes facing it, but it knows the right one each time. And in it goes. It obviously deposits its pollen. Out it goes again. And you know, if you're going to just have a cup of tea in the garden, and you've got the bee box next to you, I would suggest that that's time very well spent. So. It can be pretty Heath Robinson, the construction. You're looking at something <laughs> waterproof. What's that?
1: I don't even know. It's oh, yeah. that.
2: <laughs> That's an old-fashioned saying. Sorry, i was trying. It means a bit sort of spit and sawdust. It doesn't need to be uh, a beautifully built box, something like that. Just get an old wooden box, okay? Stick something relatively waterproof on top. It doesn't matter if it's a tin tray. But fill it all up with your canes, you know, the canes are best cut with a little hacksaw into the right lengths and yeah that's a bit tedious that'll take you a couple of hours but cram them all in so that they're stable and then sit back and wait of course we're coming to the end of the season a little bit now so it could be that you might just get lucky with some overwintering ones so but it'll come into its own next springtime and i i absolutely guarantee set set these things up now start start thinking forward this is a a long-term investment in nature for your own sake you know it's uh it's something where i like to think you can get a hit of nature by just going out into your backyard and or even these these things might well work on a um you said you had a friend with a um with a balcony yeah, I don't know how, how high up they are or whatever, but it would still be worth a shot. Yeah, you know, definitely. You could more or less do one with, like, if it was undercover, a shoebox. Yeah. Try that.
1: I think it's also, like, you know, it's interesting from what we've discussed today and just observing bees, but even people you know for me i'm thinking about it like next year i do want to be growing my own veg and Mm. my plants and it's like i don't know it sounds like it's all connected and that's going to benefit that side of the garden as well so
2: it's so connected it's it's literally all connected and and as soon as we see that connection uh it becomes more important to maintain it it's the same we were having this conversation today about um the girls were saying when during lockdown the The connection with nature became the or the importance and the the joy of connecting with nature became so obvious it mm-hmm. didn't need teaching you just felt it and uh and it's the same I would suggest with these these fun little projects just to do in the garden, and when it pays off it's it's just good fun, yeah. yeah.
1: No, well, I've already got rosemary and thyme planted in from the herb bath mm-hmm. that we um, did off the back of the Grey Your Own episode. So I'll yeah. plant some of the other bits you discussed and, yeah, have my go at a, a bee a hotel. A bee I'm hotel. definitely going to go and look at your Heath Robinson job before I leave, <laughs> just uh, get I'm going to have tips. to look up Heath Robinson now to find <laughs> out who the hell yeah. he was. <laughs> okay,
0: and if you don't have a garden, maybe just go out and just enjoy looking at the I various pollinators.
2: Thing, I think it's really sort of like important to do and that's support your local beekeeper. um if you can buy local honey uh there's two advantages well there's several advantages a you're hopefully supporting your local beekeeper and beekeeping is not easy trust me there's you know there's there's a lot that can go wrong in beekeeping there's quite a few diseases that bees can get managing bees through our sort of current um mild wet winters is is a tough is a tough call so buy local honey also you'll have the advantage that it's not blended now if you buy blended honey it means that it's been heated up in order to blend honey from different sites now the heating up process destroys the enzymes that do you so much good so uh the commercial stuff is generally heated up and blended, so it's I'm not saying it's bad for you, but it's not quite as good for you as the unblended stuff also if you're in any way have any sort of like hay fevery type issues uh if you have local honey, you will be constantly drip feeding a certain amount of those that pollen that causes you some irritation. And it's well known that this can help you build your resistance to hay fever.
0: Wow. Wow. What a gem at the end of the podcast. Tell you what, the you, nature. If you, for everyone who's listened this far, you've just been
2: rewarded. Um. <laughs> so yeah, if you haven't got a garden, if you're in a, in a flat, treat yourself to a nice pot of honey. It'll be six or seven quid probably, but it'll go a long way and it'll taste wonderful if you really understand the effort that's gone into making it both from the bees point of view and from the beekeeper
0: okay brilliant well there we go um i found that's that fascinating. fascinating yeah Is that awesome. all right. really <laughs> really great yeah and um hopefully everyone has even more respect for the bees and the pollinators and will go out and do something to help them and if you do please as ever, send us your pictures on our Instagram mm. at fathernaturehq. We want to know if you do plant some herbs or if you do manage to be, build a uh, bug hotel or a bee hotel as well because that would just be brilliant. So there we go. Thank you very much for that, Father Nature. Oh, thank you very, nice. very much. It's been good. It was awesome. And, yeah, we covered a lot of things and you cured hay fever at the end of it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a success. And we'll see you all next time.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you very much.